Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today I'm thrilled to speak with Van Lathan Jr. He's the co-host of the Higher Learning Podcast, along with Rachel Lindsay, previous guest of the show. Van is also now an author with his debut book, Fat, Crazy, and Tired, Tales from the Trenches of Transformation. We talk today about Van's own experiences with body positivity and being comfortable or uncomfortable in his skin. We also talk about mental health, the Black community, and Van's time at TMZ. This month's book club selection is Shine Bright by Danielle Smith. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, May 25th with Novena Carmel. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in that link in the show notes. Click it to find all the books, movies, references. They're all right there. If you love the show and want more of it, join the Stacks Pack. That's our exclusive community for all of you book lovers out there. Members of the Stacks Pack get monthly virtual book club conversations, bonus episodes of the show, our lively Discord community, plus you get discounts on merch and more. Not to mention the Stacks is an entirely independent podcast. So if you like what you hear and you want to be a part of making sure that this show is in your ears every single week, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks and join us. Thank you to some of our newest members of the Stacks Pack. Tahira Walker, Laura Wilson, Margot, Nee Lee Glasgow, Lindsay Dunmire, Victoria Burke, Asa Hoagland, and Mo Enriquez. Thank you all so much. And thank you to everyone who is in the Stacks Pack. And now it's time for my chat with Van Lathan Jr. All right, everybody, I am very excited today to be joined by one of my favorite podcasters, Van Lathan Jr. He's the co-host of the Higher Learning Podcast. He's also someone you may know from his days at TMZ Live. He's an Academy Award winner. He's all the things. And now he's an author. His new book is called Fat, Crazy, and Tired, Tales from the Trenches of Transformation. Van, welcome to the stacks. Thank you so much. What a fantastic intro. That goes in best intros of all time pantheon like you're up there like top five intros okay wow okay so now it's i I gotta live up to that intro with my questions i have stress i have anxiety but i feel like you're the person (laughs) to talk to about this uh so we'll just get started where we always start in about 30 seconds or so can you just let folks know what your book is about my book is about sort of the how hard it is to change yourself 
how hard it is to change your for the for what you consider to be the better how hard it's really about like the difficulty of making decisions that will benefit your life from mental health to uh physical health even dealing with the death of my father it's about everything that i went through to change from who i was to who i am today and even sometimes about how you know i've backslid off of those things it's about just the difficulty in the how hard it is to become who you think you need to be right and mm. that's been the the hardest thing in my life like i looked in the mirror i'd see i was this big big huge guy was like 370 pounds and i'd say how do i become someone that's more health oriented how do i become someone who cares more and the book is about everything i went through to to try to change yeah i mean I think like for me, one of the things that really struck me about this book as a as a thought warrior, a fan of your podcast, someone who listens to you twice a week, you know, I was really struck by your vulnerability in the book. I wasn't expecting it. Honestly, I was like, whoa, OK, we're going there. But also I was really struck about your struggles like with your body because, you know, you joke about it so much on the podcast and you talk about it like in such a lighthearted way. But reading about it in the book you know, I was like, wow, okay, this is like way more than Van Let's On on the, on the podcast. So I'm wondering how you sort of approached the vulnerability, especially when talking about, about your body. Because I think you've been more vulnerable on the podcast with your mental health struggles, certainly. But this was sort of different for me. So I'm wondering how you approached it. I kind of wanted to talk about myself like... So there was a time when I wasn't able to confront the reality of uh, of who I was, right? And that time has passed. Hmm. And so I think I wanted to talk about myself and to myself, talk to that guy, uh, and talk to talk about that guy in a way that felt real and felt uh, genuine. Hmm. And in doing that, you just unearth all of these emotions, not that you've packed away that you know that you feel, but that you don't want to talk about. Like mm -hmm. A lot of times, it's not until you discuss something that it becomes real. And so I'm at a point in my life where I don't want to hide from anything or hide from myself. So I wanted everything in the book to feel real. And so I had to access some parts of myself that, uh, that I tried to, to, to magically make disappear for a very long time. Hmm. You live in LA. I live in LA. It is a crazy place when it comes to health and wellness. Um, uh -huh. In a lot of ways, it's like a very wellness-friendly place. Like you can get your gluten-free, your dairy-free, whatever. But it's also a totally like unattainable body example place because you're walking down the street and you're like, wow, there's a supermodel. I feel like shit about myself. So I'm wondering like, and you came from Louisiana and Baton Rouge. You talk about that a lot in the book. I'm wondering like if living in LA and Hollywood has made it harder or easier for you as you work with through your body image things. It was easier. It yeah. was, um, it made it a lot easier at first because like I was going through the period of unlearning. Mm -hmm. Right. So people blame themselves for their bodies and they blame all kinds of things for the body. You shouldn't blame yourself. Your body is beautiful and it's 
you know, the body that was meant for you. So you should learn to love it. But if you want to change it, that's cool too, right? But people put that on themselves. They go, oh my God, like, how did I do this? Whatever, whatever. What you have to, mem- what you have to remember is like, and we'll talk about this in the book, is like the first half of your life or the first 15, 16, 17, you have no control over really what it is you're putting in your body. Mm-hmm. You have a diet that you've learned. I mean, for 10 years, you literally have no control. You right. Know? <laughs> right. And so, but then even after that, there's a diet that you've learned. There's sort of rhythms around food that you've learned. There are emotions around food that you've learned. Mm-hmm. There's you've learned how to be active or sedentary. You've learned all of those things from the community and the culture that you come from. And it's not until you decide who you want to be that you look at yourself and you go, okay, this is who I need to be. I want to change. And nobody's going to be able to make you do that besides yourself. When I got to L.A., it was like I was re-indoctrinated almost. I allowed mm. myself to sort of learn anew. And I looked mm-hmm. around and my, my roommates would be like, oh, you know, what do we do? We join a softball league. I'm like, okay, we join softball league. And they're like, okay, Saturday morning we go play beach volleyball. I'm like, okay, before I knew it, I'm playing basketball twice a week. And this is before I had actually gotten into the weight loss portion of my life. I'm playing basketball twice a week. But then I'm going to play beach volleyball with these crazy ass white dudes that were my that were my neighbors. We're playing 12 inch softball on Sunday, and the I the, we're hiking for fun. The lifestyle was more active, and I allowed myself to learn that. Right. Um. So I think there were parts of LA that actually benefited me in that. I was mm-hmm. never the one. I mean, I was never the one to be sort of. I'll tell you how I am, Tracy. <laughs> Let me know, man. Let me know. <laughs> so this is the way I look at things. I talk about it a little bit in the book, but I look at LA as a place that you can drive any car that you want to. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. If you're in Baton Rouge, where I'm from, you feel the pressure to have a nice car because there aren't very many nice cars. Mm-hmm. You know, you go back home and if you have a Range Rover at home, you you will be, I would be known as Van with the Range Rover. Hey, y'all know Van, he got that Range Rover. If I'm like, if I got a Benz, hey, y'all know Van to drive the Benz? Like, if you had a Chrysler Sebring at one time, you were killing motherfuckers in, in, in Baton Rouge, right? <laughs> um, That's because those things seem sort of unattainable, so everybody's striving to get them. And I was the same way. In Los Angeles, there are Bugattis on the road. Mm-hmm. Like, there are uh, G-Wagons everywhere. I run in Beverly Hills. I see five, six Rolls Royce trucks, cars that I never saw at home. So that actually alleviates pressure for me. I'm like, I can drive my 2010 Honda as long as I want because it doesn't really matter unless you have one of those cars and how many people have one of those cars. So when I look at the guys and the women in LA, I'm like, (laughs) now I'm like, well, you're not going to really stand out unless you're one of those people. And those people aren't me. God bless them. (laughs) I'm not going to try to aspire to be that. So what I'm going to try to do is drive whatever car I want and live in the body that I want and understand that fit for me doesn't mean that you can see every single vein in my pelvis. It means something different, and I've defined it for myself. And I think having the stakes lifted to a point that seems unattainable actually grounded me and made me go, all right, Mm. well, since that's out, let's just do the best you can, you know? Yeah, I love that. Also, I meant to tell you this. Um, my family's from Baton Rouge. I was not born oh, there. Oh, is that from true? California. Yeah, my dad, mm-hmm. he, but he came with his parents when he was two. So I don't, and he was an only child. So I don't have people there really, but um, that's where I'm from too. 
Do you ever <laughs> go back there? You ever been there before? I've been before. Uh, my dad passed away about 10 years ago. And oh, wow. about Sorry to hear that. five, it's okay. Thank you. Um, about five years ago, I went back for a wedding to New Orleans and I actually drove up to Baton Rouge to try to find his house, but it had been torn down when I got there, which was a bummer. So I have been once, but not, I don't, we don't, he was an only child and he came in the thirties. So it was sort of like a distant mm. part of our family, but wow. my, my grandparents and everything. Anyways, not about me, but just wanted to let you know, Baton Rouge connection. Okay. This is something that struck, stuck out to me so much in the book. And I want to talk about this really bad, which sure. is you said that you're jealous of people who feel comfortable in their own skin. Yes. Have you ever felt comfortable in your skin? Do you feel like you're getting to feel more comfortable in your skin? Do you think you ever will? I really related to that. I'm with you. I'm like people who are like super body positive, don't want to change anything about their body. I'm very jealous. I don't I don't fully understand how that works. I would love to be there with you people, but I just would love to hear you talk about that. So, no. <laughs> okay. I, I, I've never... <laughs> So right now I am, I've gained, I gained a lot of weight during the pandemic, like a lot, right? So the book's coming out. The book was literally about a guy who lost weight. I'm not as big as I once was. I'll never be that big again. But the book was about a guy who lost weight. And then it turned into a guy who's learning how to deal with himself and learning to love himself, right? Mm -hmm. So I have this picture and the picture of, of me in a dressing room. And in this picture, I'm in like some of the best shape of my life. Right. It's from about mm -hmm. four or five years ago, right? My arms are big and cut. I got my my like my my shoulders and everything coming. I was literally doing um and I'll get back to it, but I was literally doing like three hundred and fifty push ups a day. I was playing basketball, like the, the whole nine, like like I was literally, yeah, like at TMZ during the morning meeting, I'd knock out 150 push ups. Like commercial like wow. we'd stop down, like I before the meeting, I'd do fifty push ups. Then I we'd stop down. I would do fifty push ups, and then we would come back, and I would do fifty push ups, just knocking off fifty push ups, right? Wow! And I show people this picture. I'm totally fit, arms bulging. I, I look great, right? And it's in a dressing room. The reason why I was in the dressing room is because I was sending a picture to Kalika to ask her if I looked fat in the shirt. Now, if I showed you a picture of me at that particular time, you'd be like, you'd go nuts. You'd be like, what the hell? Even me now, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I don't even remember being in that good shape. But I was showing her the picture uh, because I was asking, yo, is this too, do I, is this too tight? You know what I mean? It's like, is, right. do, I, do I look fat in this? And the reason being is that losing the amount of weight that I did means that my body has scars. Mm. Like my body... There are parts of my body that, unless I decide to go under the knife, are never going to be, they're never going to look like a superhero. I mean, you'd never right. be able to tell from other ways that my arms always look great and all of that stuff. And so I've never, ever in my life been a shirt off at the beach guy. And I'm talking about I've been 6'4", I'm 6'4 now. I've been 6'4", 225, like literally 13% body fat, and I still didn't feel right doing it. This doesn't have anything to do with how I actually look. It has to do with how I feel. Mm. And at some point in life, how you look and how you feel have to meet. That's why people like Lizzo 
I am so absolutely jealous of them because you mm-hmm. can tell she feels a certain way about herself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And she's beautiful, but forget about how she actually looks. It's about how she feels, how she feels to herself. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've been like, like striving for in my life. I've been striving to feel good about me, about everything that's right and everything that's wrong. And I think that actually having achieved some things sometimes works as works at cross purposes to that. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if you do something, if you make it on TV, or if you publish a book, if you make a certain amount of money, you can go, look at this. That's proof that I'm okay. Mm-hmm. That's proof that I'm worthy. That's proof that like what I think about myself is real. That's proof. Look at it right now. Everybody thinks I'm smart. Everybody thinks I'm I'm, I'm funny. Everybody's saying, yes, the, the, the Instagram culture, everybody's going, yes, man, we love you. We like you. We like you. That means something. But like when they're not around or when they don't agree, how do you feel about yourself? Or when you've put the weight back on, pandemic comes, you can't go anywhere. You you suffer from depression. Your father dies. Now, everyone looking at you and giving you instant gratification of, oh, wow, you've lost so much weight. Oh, my, wow, wow, you look so good. You've been able to keep it off for so long. It's gone. How do you feel about yourself? And that right there is a lifelong journey for me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what I could do. Like right now, I go in the boxing ring. I box with younger guys, seven, ten rounds, and I wear people out. You know what I mean? I get hit a lot, and they hit me, <laughs> but my body can perform. But how do I feel about myself when I look in the mirror? Um, and that's tougher, you know? What do you do? I mean, not if this is too personal, we don't have to talk about it, but like, what are you doing to feel better about yourself? Well, number one, I'm letting myself feel. That's the first thing. I'm not numbing okay. myself. So okay. it's important not to, like, I'm not numbing myself at all. I'm not going, hey, I'm just going to put that in the back of my mind and not think about it. So I'm letting myself feel feelings and I'm talking to people about it. I'm talking to therapists about it. I'm talking to friends about it. I'm talking to allies and colleagues about it. And I'm also just spending a lot of time inside of myself. Mm. I'm not like drinking a ton. I'm not burying myself in movies and films and video because that's what I would always do. Like, right. I, it'd be like, man, seen every movie. Yeah, well, yeah. the reason why was because reality wasn't really doing me any favors. So mm. um, I'm spending time with myself and I'm I'm getting to know the me that like, I think I have to become okay with. Right. You know? And so, right. you know, uh, like, I might not completely love myself, mm-hmm. but I like this motherfucker a lot. I like them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, that's better than I can say for most people. Like, there's a lot right. of people I don't like or love, and I'm like, get the fuck away from me. So if you are in a right. like relationship with yourself, that's not so bad. Right. right. <laughs> um, okay, so the first part of your book is fat. We've talked about fat. I want to talk yeah. a little bit about crazy. Then we'll get mm-hmm. to tired. Then I have some other unrelated questions because I'm nosy. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. But, okay, crazy. You talk a lot about your mental health. You talk about, you know, medications and like all of that and how it affected your sleep and all this stuff. And I don't I don't want to give away too much of the book, but I'm basically telling everyone just go get the book. But you talk about mental health in the black community and how maybe like we're doing it wrong or like Mm -hmm. we're not 
doing it at all, maybe? What do you what's your advice? What do you think we should be how do you think we should be approaching mental health in the black community? How could we be doing it better, more effective, more impactful, etc.? You ever watch the show Survivor? Like the first season. Okay. Do you ever see what happens to people when they're on Survivor? They atrophy. They, and atrophy, they go right? nuts. <laughs> they Physically go nuts. and emotionally. Physically and emotionally, right? Mm-hmm. So how much do you think those people are concerned about health? I would say actually a lot. How do you mean? Well, because like I'm sure they're they're thinking about what's going on with their body and their mind and they're very concerned with like, are they falling out of health? Like I, if that was me, I would be like obsessed about those things. So I disagree. Let me tell you what I think they're thinking okay. about. What I, I don't think that they can be. I think if they thought of, if they were thinking about health, they wouldn't have gone on the show. Okay, fair, 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 fair. You mean so, prior to the show? How much are they thinking about health? So sure, this is what I, I agree. Mean. <laughs> if you put somebody in a survival matrix, they think about surviving. Right. So a lot of the people on that show aren't going to get up and run five miles if they don't have enough calories going into their body. Because yeah. they're going to think about how do I make it to the next day, right? Yes, yes, yes. And once your brain gets into that, your primal baser instincts come out. And now you can't think about mental health because it's just hard to do on an empty stomach, right? Mm-hmm. So what's ha- what's happened in a black community is completely une- completely expected, but it has to change. Is that mm-hmm. since black people have been in America, we've been put in a survival matrix. How do we survive? Like, think about it. Like, what is trying to kill us now, right? And that's, I, I get that people don't like to to deal with that very true reality, but mm-hmm. it's just a fact. The fact of the matter is, brought here as cattle, used as cattle, after cattle terrorized by people who wanted you to still be cattle, then a fight for your rights, then a fight for your economic freedom, always a fight for something. And during that fight, you're doing your best to try to understand who you are. You know what I mean? So the question of mental health in black in black communities is actually the question of health in black communities. How do you prioritize peace? Because mental health to me is peace. Peace is not about not having problems. Peace is not about not having setbacks. Peace is about being balanced enough to be able to look at your life and come to some sort of homeostasis, you know what I mean? You have a peaceful Mm -hmm. existence. Mm -hmm. So if my father, who's passed on, he passed away last year, uh, my father one time tells me, he says, you have to be more afraid of me than you are on the streets. Mm. That's a very noble thing, right? It's a very noble thing for your father to care and love you so much, right, that he feels like, you're more concerned with what he's going to do that you're not going to go out there and do something crazy in the streets, right? Like, I have to be tougher than him. I have to be better than him. I have to care more. And that was the way he expressed his love. But he also taught me fear. He taught me fear. Like, I wasn't afraid of them out there. I was afraid of him. He was right. He did the right thing. So that meant I would never be with them. I would be with him. But it took a toll on our relationship that the entire time I was a child, and in my formative years, I had to fear my father. Like, I was afraid. My dad comes home. It's like, okay, stand up straight. It's like, okay, stop doing whatever you're doing. It's like, I never just got to fall into a relationship with my father. And there was mm-hmm. a there was a trust bond that was never established because there was a fear matrix that existed that had to happen because he was trying to keep me alive. Mm-hmm. So the healthy part of that, the part where 
there was somebody who I could talk to about anything, to where there was somebody who I trusted, to where there was somebody who I knew would protect me from things. It never really got to where it was because he couldn't protect me from himself. Sure. Right? If we lived in a place where he didn't need to instill fear, would he have done that? If we lived in a place that wasn't South Baton Rouge, Louisiana, do I have this childhood filled with trips to the park and flying a kite? And we did things like that, but to where it's like, yo, this guy's my best friend. Right. Not this guy's an ogre. And you know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, right. yeah. So the conditions that we lived in made him have to be a certain way. And if you step back from it, when we're talking about a lot of black people, not all of them, a lot of black people, what we're talking about is people who are saying, we want to be here. We want to be here for a long time, but it's not that we want to prioritize living a long time. We're not, we want to prioritize avoiding death for a long time. Those are two different things. Mm-hmm. Like living to be as healthy as you can be, living to be as well adjusted as you can be, living to be as proactive about these things as you can be is different than just avoiding the Grim Reaper for 60, 70, 80 years. Mm-hmm. And it puts you in a completely different mindset. And so when I'm like what I'm hoping and what I'm praying is that we're proactive about doing things that incentivize quality of life, that mm-hmm. incentivize positive outcomes in our communities and that's going to take all hands on deck because it's not easy to do it's not easy to go into a food desert and tell people to eat kale you know what right. i mean right. it's not easy to 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 go into a place i was just in chicago a place called oblock it's the name of a uh it's a it's, it's parkway gardens is the name of the the development but it's called oblock right oblock is where king vaughn and all of these guys come from and they are just it's a war. It's like Fallujah. We talk about what's going on in the Middle East. There's Oblock and Tukaville, another neighborhood that's that uh that's literally three blocks away where these guys are just blowing each other's fucking heads off all the time. Like they walk out of their doors and they're looking over their shoulders the entire time. So in order to make them healthy mentally, we have to change that because they're never gonna be healthy in that situation. So there's a lot to be done. Um, but the first thing we have to do is an honest and full-throated assessment of the conditions in which we live. And those who can, those who can change it, people who can affect it, they have to be willing, not just for themselves, but for the kids that come behind them. So for me, the things that I deal with mentally, I have to prioritize being able to change them so that I don't pass them on. My mother deals okay. with the same the, the same things that I deal with. She talks about it all the time. The same stuff that I deal with, my mother deals with it. And so if I wanna if I wanna make sure that it stops, I have to stop it. Sorry for the long right. answer. No, it's great. It's a podcast. Yeah. All it's reliant on long answers. <laughs> um so you mentioned a few times that your father passed away last year. And one of the things that stood out to me, and I think, you know, as someone whose father passed away about 10 years ago, you know, like I'm in a different place in my grief journey than you. But, you know, I, I remember where you are in a lot of ways, where I was at the time that you are now in a lot of ways. And one of the things that stuck out from the book is you mentioned like feeling mourning this future with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just wondering if you would talk a little bit like about how that's manifesting 
with you and like how maybe your expectations of grief have been different than your experience of grief. We talk a lot about grief on this podcast, especially this year, because I think so many people are dealing with it in so many different ways. And I found that everyone who's spoken about it has brought something different. So anyone who's dealing with it acutely, I'm like, please share your thoughts Mm. if that's, if that's okay. Sure. Of course. Okay. Uh, Well, grieving who somebody was is easier than grieving who you thought they could have been. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm 42, and I was chasing my father. I just wish I could, like, uh, give an adequate description of him for you guys. I wish you guys could see him the way I saw him. Mm-hmm. Like, he was, he was, like, he was made out of steel. It's like one time, I've told this story before, it's like one time I, um, there was a wasp in the house, a big one, a big country wasp. And me and my friends are in there. And you know, we're like, oh, my God, there's a wasp. And we're having fun with it, getting out of the way. Dad comes in, and he sees it, and he grabs it out of the sky. Boom, and crushes <gasps> it with his hand. I got chills. Yeah, it's like I'm like, everybody's like, oh, shit. And later on, there's a big welt on his hand, but sometimes you got to crush the wasp. That's just his life. He was a hunter. He could shoot the best of, of anyone. He, he was a horseman. He could rope. He owned a construction company. He could fix things just like a dude, right? And he knew it. He knew it. So I wasn't that. I was a mini version of it. I could do all of those things. I could hunt, I could shoot, all of that, but it wasn't like the same, right? It was different and I felt different. And at some point he knew I was different, right? He'd come into the house and I'd be watching a clockwork orange or (laughs) like getting into movies or being upset. He introduced me to Star Wars and then one day, he had to talk to me about my Star Wars obsession. He was like, it's okay to like Star Wars, but like that's all you talk about. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so in my life, I was chasing the idea that my way was okay. Mm-hmm. I just wanted him to see that. You know, when the film wins an Academy Award, and I get this call from dad. And you think that's going to be something like, like, I talk about this in the book, that your father's going to be like a, uh, Oh my like, oh my God, look, everybody's talking about my son. I'm like, my my high, my college gives me like a uh like a, a special proclamation. I'm on with the mayor of Baton Rouge. It's like everyone's <laughs> talking about it. My dad calls me and he goes, um, he says, uh, what's this about an award I hear? I was like, Yeah, I won an Academy Award. He's like, Why people keep calling me about it? I didn't win no award. Why are they why are they bothering me about it? I'm like, well, it's kind of a big deal. He's like, well, what do you mean it's a big deal? Like, I was like, well, it's the top award that you can win in film. Like it's the there's not one higher. He's like, how did you win it? <laughs> I'm like, well, we made a little movie, it's a short film. And he's like, Oh, okay. All right. Well, that mean you, you like what you gonna get money? And I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm like, man, what's going on with you? <laughs> I'm like, how are you doing, man? Like, how, like, how, how are things that, you know? And 
Like three months later, he was dead. Yeah. And um, I was just like, I would, like what I was chasing was for him to look at me like the way I looked at him. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're a guy like him, you can't look at anyone like that. And now what would get me through to the next day with him was that it was always possible. One day I would be taking care of him. One day I would be uh, doing stuff for him. Or one day he'd be able to look at someone and be like, you know, I, I, I took care of him a lot. But like one day the roles were reversed and he'd be like, my boy is that. And one morning he died. Yeah. And that's out the window. And every single question that was there now remains unanswered in perpetuity. And you got to swallow and make your peace with it. And it's, uh, it's excruciating. Yeah. It sucks so bad. I don't have any wise words or anything. Um, well, I appreciate that. So, <laughs> no, I don't know. I feel like when I feel like when someone's parent yeah. dies, it's like the older generation of people whose parents died like impart all this wisdom or something. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, my dad died ten years ago. Let me help you. But the truth mm-hmm. is, like, I'm sitting here listening to you, being like, yeah, like I'm getting emotional. I'm just thinking about it, and like I'm ten years ahead of where you are essentially, and like yeah. I don't have anything to give to you or like any way of helping people. But I think that's also part of where my like obsession with grief has become in the last few years is like, Mm -hmm. isn't really a right answer. And there's like a lot of like anecdotes and sometimes they help for like a week, but then like you try to like think about that thing again. And it's like not helpful. Still very much miss my dad, like not getting better. Sad. He's missing this event. Sad. He's not seeing this thing. Sad that I don't get to call him like all of that stuff. So I don't I don't have anything that I think is worthwhile or like lasting to give you besides mm-hmm. it's fucking sucks. I don't know. <laughs> it's tough. Like it um, like I just had a birthday. I just turned 42. I just had a birthday. So, I know we were told not to mention it. I listened. I was going to wish you a happy birthday, but I was told right. don't bring it up. Yeah. So it's like as I talked about on higher learning, it's like the birthday call at the end of the day was the one time when me and him were just two bros. Mm. It was a clear out. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, he wouldn't talk about my mother because you know, they had been divorced for a long time. So they like to talk about each other. That's another (laughs) thing. It's like these two people who uh, loved each other that much, but had hurt each other too much to to be together that's fucking scary you know what i mean who people who loved it but they just did too much to one another my father more so and the colleges will never come again yeah and you just fucking you just go right and like the the it's like the first birthday and it's like you know everybody says happy birthday but then at the end of the day it's like there's no call like there's like nothing like i don't talk to him and like I, he died before I had any kids, right? You know, so it's just like it's it's it. Uh, people always ask me how it feels. It feels peculiar. Yes, great word. It's peculiar. You spend your whole life, and there were times where me and him fought. You know, there were times where I 
but I, I could never do it. Like, so there, there were times where I stood my ground, like, yo, fuck you. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't real. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's what it's like. It, like, it wasn't real. It wasn't authentic. I was, I was really just saying, hey, man, could you back off? Could you give me a hug? Yeah. Like, <laughs> could you, could you like, did you like, uh, just like, like, you know, just nice grab me and be like, yeah, just be, just be cool, bro. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like, you know, you know what I mean? It was like, nah, you got to be better. You got to be this. You got to be that. And you know, I guess I am. I grew taller than he ever did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just nuts. And now it's over. Yeah. Well, it's sort of over. It's actually still going, unfortunately, <laughs> in yeah. different ways. Um, okay, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, we're back. Gonna just do a hard shift. Sorry, hard not very shift. fun. I want to talk. I mean, it's not that hard of a shift. Let's be honest. I want to talk about sort of your public persona because mm. I feel like a lot of people came to you through TMZ, 
And then you went on higher learning and it started right before the murder of George Floyd. And then you and Rachel sort of had to carry this conversation or chose to carry this conversation about black people in America, you know, pop culturally, but also like this really heavy shit, you know, about black people getting killed and being brutalized by the police and all of this stuff. And so and to me, like that is what your tired chapter, tired section was like about was like this sort of, you know, some like being the tiredness of having to like be Van Lathan Jr., you know, and and mm-hmm. and so I'm sort of wondering, like, I don't even really have a good question, but I just sort of want to hear you talk a little bit about like this shift of being the black guy in this white space that a lot of people hated, not you, but TMZ, to becoming this black guy in this still sometimes white space, because I know a lot of your listeners are white, um, and talking about black people in this other way and like what that was like for you and how you negotiate that for yourself. Mm. Yeah, uh, that might actually be what the next book is about. I look forward. <laughs> okay, pre-order everybody. A, <laughs> next book might be about um, just quote unquote the black guy. I know they've been books that they've done like the black friend and all that stuff. Uh, I think right. for me, really, it's you know it's tiring, man. It's tiring. It's like it's like, like shit, man. Look, just cut the shit, everybody. I'm sick of this shit, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm to, I'm to, I'm to the point in my life to where I don't even get mad anymore. I just be like, really? Ugh, yeah. Like, it's just, this is a waste of time. It's like we're like, ah. Oh. It's like CEO goes to Halloween party in blackface, says he meant no harm. Really? We're still there. Yeah. It seems like America is brilliant about everything except race relations. Man, the fucking airplane was invented in America. You know what I mean? Like fucking steam engine. America sure. got Edison. America got Granville Woods. America got all of this shit that happened right here. Fucking walk on the moon, but mention the N-word and everybody goes completely fucking dumb. What? Right, right. Like, why can't we... Like what? Like what? What? And it was like, I know you're bullshitting. And if you're not bullshitting, if you if that's sincere, cool. Can we talk about it once so we never have to talk about it again? Can we just deal with this stuff? <laughs> right, because right, right. the insidiousness of it starts to be, you guys know what you're doing, you know what's happening, and you're doing this to keep to make us a permanent servant class. And then there's this inside thing that just balls up in you, to where almost it seems like almost anything any emotion you have is fit to act on like you get Mm -hmm. so you get to a point to where you're so displeased that there's nothing you can't rule out you can't rule out anything like you think you know what i might fucking kick somebody in the shin today i'm that mad you know you're not gonna do it but you can't rule it out but you're not sure it could happen It could happen, right? You're just looking around like, who's a random person? I hope you fucking twist your ankle. I'm mad. I'm just mad. And that's tiring. That takes a lot mm-hmm. out of you. It takes a lot out of you to have little microaggressions. Like, we, we, I tell a story we never told before. Like, we did, me, a friend of mine and I, we did this, uh, this documentary. And the documentary, uh, we helped. We didn't do it. We helped in this documentary. 
I'm having a meeting with somebody about the documentary. The name of the documentary was Uppity. It's a great documentary. It's about uh, it's about the first black driver, uh, Willie T. Ribs, in the um, the Indy 500. It's a great documentary. Fantastic. And we're sitting down having a meeting. You know, they want to bring us on to do the doc. We're sitting around having a meeting, these people. And one of the guys goes, well, at first he didn't want the documentary to be called White Guy. First thing he wanted the documentary to be called Uppity. He said he he wanted the documentary to be called Uppity Nigger. And he said the word. And I was and I was just like, I just looked. I'm like, are you fucking with me right now? Like, are you is this a test? Do you want to see if I'm if I'll actually get mad enough to like what why? Like, and it's a question I ask myself all the time. Like, are you like what are you like why would you do that? Right. Like I like I, seriously, like I would never do that. I'm right. around people all the time. I'm around my Jewish brothers and sisters. I'm around my LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. I'm around all kinds of people. I never just fuck off and say the words that I know will incite them to rage. You have to know. And like in losing it right there in that situation, now I look crazy. But like the tire part is like, why are you fucking with me? And it starts to become a, a situation to where you go, you're doing it to see if you can. This country has told you for for decades, centuries, that you're better than me. And now because you can't outwardly do it, you're looking for passive aggressive ways to assert dominance over me and set a rhythm to where I know that I have to suppress emotion and being displeased with you. That's my only way to look at it. And I'm just fucking sick of it. I'm yeah. sick of it. I'm I'm sick of it in the the clandestine sort of uh subconscious ways. I'm sick of it in the overt ways. I'm sick of having to watch videos with black people being just degraded and just, just I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of it. I don't know how else to say it. And so yeah. Us doing the podcast and me being in that situation, it just it 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 changes your perspective a little bit. And what you start doing is rather than going into relationships with people uh, with your whole heart open and ready to receive love and grace and give it, you start going into relation into uh, relationships with them, waiting for them to fuck up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if that is what you're looking for, they always will. And mm-hmm. sometimes you'll be right, and sometimes you'll be wrong but you'll have too much dickhead momentum. Dickhead momentum, by the way, for people who don't know, is when you're in an argument and you realize that you're wrong, but you've gone too far and now you have to keep mm-hmm. doing it. You'll have too much dickhead momentum to turn back and now everybody loses. So right. I, it's just, yeah, I am tired and I don't know how to work my way around it. I just think the part of it, that's why therapy is important. That's why having supportive friends are important. It's because you're tired but you have to, that's like you drinking your Gatorade. That's like you getting mm-hmm. your sleep. You have mm-hmm. to replenish it. You have right. to get ready, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on this show, we always talk about how people write. So tell me, where do you where do you write? How many hours a day? How often? Do you listen to music? Do you have snacks and beverages? Any rituals around like writing this book? Yes. Uh, Kid Cudi. Okay. <sighs> Kid Cudi's first album is my permanent writing music. Kid Cudi, Kid Cudi, Kid Cudi, Man on the Moon. Okay. Uh, Man on the Moon is my is my first writing album. I come in here. I got my little Sonos moving here. Okay. 
dim the lights, diffuser. Oh, what's the scent in the diffuser? Well, it's like I got a couple. I got like stress relief up there. Okay. Like I can show you my little box if you want. I can grab it. I got like stress relief up there. I got like the lavender up there. Lavender sometimes okay. tricky because I've fallen asleep writing before. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> Very relatable. Uh, yeah. Oh, I want to also want to shout out the fact that a brilliant, a brilliant black woman named Leah helped me formulate my thoughts for this book. Like she didn't. So it's so weird that someone can. It's so weird to be able to learn something at this particular point in your life mm-hmm. because I didn't mm-hmm. understand how to write a book. I understood how to write, but mm-hmm. if this was just me, it would have been like a Buzzfeed article, like 10 essays on whatever. Okay. And, <laughs> it would have been a listicle. <laughs> yeah. And she, and she just helped me. You send it to her. She takes everything that you wrote and then she just makes it booky. And by the end you can do it. And like you talk to her or whatever. So sometimes it what I had to, um, and this was the painstaking part of the book. I had to write everything, right? And then I had to come back and go to class. With Leah. <laughs> With Leah. I had to come back and go to class. And for that, you're like in a classroom. Like it's like you're okay, this and this and that, and this doesn't work. Here, here, you're, van, you're just rambling now. Let's blah 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 and all of that. But for me, I have to completely set a mood because. I'm going to do two hours of writing today turns into I'm going to do three hours of writing today turns into I don't want to stop because I'm in a good groove turns into van take the dog out and you've been (laughs) sitting there the whole day and now your butt hurts. So I play that and then after I play that song and get into that groove I always play it off title support black owned businesses at least when they used to be black owned. Um, I play it off title and then after that's over title will just suggest things that are in that vein. I like the lo-fi writing type stuff to kind of get my brain working. What about snacks and beverages? Uh, no, no, no snacks, no beverages. I don't, I don't, I can't really eat and think. Got it. I love food, Tracy. So if I'm eating something, <laughs> I'm focused on the food morsels. I also love food, and snacks is the only thing I love in this life more than my children, besides wow. myself. <laughs> I love right. snacks so much. <laughs> snacks are so important to me. Personally, what kind of snacks? Professionally, I love a goldfish. I love goldfish a Swedish fish. I love yeah. a cracker. I love crackers and cheese. I love oh, crackers and cheese, top tier. Top, of course. There's so much versatility there. There's so much range. Sometimes I just mm-hmm. eat some shredded cheese out of the bag. Sometimes I just need a little something, something to pick me up. Um, you know those puffy dessert mints? I'm really into those right now. I don't the know what you're talking flavor. about. Right now, They're like. They're like dessert. They're called dessert mints, and they're like puffy. Oh, and they're like this they big, but you can eat yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, you can eat through them. Oh, mm-hmm. those are the man. Like, so I'm be honest with you. sells them, and they're uh-huh. so good. And I got right because like, it's like them. it's like it's a peppermint, but you always eat it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are the man. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. So I like all sorts of snacks. I'm not a huge chocolate person, but if you get me a seasonal a Reese's huge. peanut butter cup, I'm into it. You're not a huge chocolate person. I don't understand you guys. I, I like you. chocolate, but I like if you were like, hey, do you want a gummy moment or a chocolate moment? I'm going gummy 10 times out of 10. I will do chocolate every once in a while. I'll be like, oh, I want a Reese's peanut butter cup that's in the shape of an Easter egg or something. But mostly <laughs> the seasonal ones because they're really fresh. <laughs> right. Yeah. I like I like chocolate treats. a lot. 
I okay. I like all sorts of chocolate. I got hooked on chocolate at an early age by selling world's finest chocolate as a kid. Those bars. Yeah, and then like one day my friend Ryan and me ate them all. Okay. We just sat down. We were going door to door and everybody was jamming us. Everybody was like, nah, we don't want that shit. And I was like, yeah. and then we got, we took it personal. We sat down, we ate all the chocolate. I went back and my mother, she just couldn't help but laugh. And she's like, how much does this cost? And I was like, I don't know, man. I was so defeated. I mean, I come back, I, I come back to the house. I knew she was going to be mad, but I was so sick off chocolate that I couldn't even be scared. You're like you know, mad at I, yourself. Like, I was just disappointed in me. I remember I dapped him up. I'm like, all right, man. He was like, yeah. And we both knew it was some bullshit. So we, I got, I get back. I'm like, she's like, you sold a lot. I'm like, man, we ate it, man. And she's looking like, are you okay? I'm like, my stomach hurt. And she just laughed. And she just looked at me like, you pathetic child. And she laughed. And then, you know, but that, but since then, I'm a I'm a chocolate fanatic. Love it. Wow. Do you have a favorite chocolate candy? So not really. I've gone through phases. I was a Twix guy for a long time. When I was working okay. at Best Buy, I would get a Twix and a Coke. That would be good. Um, I was into now I'm kind of bougie about it. Okay. Because I don't know if you know, Tracy. I can afford the finer things in life now. Okay. So what do you what are you splur what are you not splurging on that everyone else would be splurging on? Fancy so pants. The the Giardelli <laughs> chocolate, the Godiva oh, yeah. chocolate. You know what I'm saying? What about like a, C's? Are you into C's candy? I like C's. I Love fuck C's. with C's. C's is great. Chocolate. If you go down here on La Cienega, not too far from where I live, it's pretty far. At the C's candy place, you walk in there and right away you feel they give you a piece. You know, Give you chocolate vibe. Have you been there before? Of course, of course. I'm a California native. Seas candy is an important part of being a Californian. Uh, they also do it at the Grove too. They give you the piece. Every Seas candy, if you go in, they'll give you a sample. But you it's can't amazing. pick your sample. And usually they try to give me some shit that's nasty. I'm like, I don't want an orange chocolate. I think orange no. and chocolate should not go together. Also, I'm not a fan of toffee and chocolate. I know people oh, like see, it. See, I like it. Those bars you ate all of, the toffee chocolate ones are my favorite. I'm allergic to tree nuts, though, so no almonds for me, no cashews, no pecans. So I can't have a lot of chocolate combinations anyway. So for me, it's like peanut butter and chocolate. Love a toffee moment. A Heath Bar, vanilla Heath Bar Crunch, one of my favorite ice creams. I don't even think they make it anymore. This is my problem with toffee. The toffee overpowers the chocolate. Toffee is Chocolate is toffee's bitch. Because when you bite down into a t- toffee, it's the toffee stay. The chocolate goes. Sure. The toffee stays. The toffee stays. If you got an almond there, I don't even like almonds regularly, but in chocolate, it works. If you got an almond there, the almond just gives way to the chocolate. The, the, the so chocolate the seduces thing. the almond. <laughs> I don't like chocolate that much. So for me, a toffee right. moment is what I'm here for. <laughs> I'm like, wow, yeah. this really, this is really working for me. A little bit of chocolate and a lot of toffee. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> okay, this is another very important question that we ask here, which is what is a word you can never spell correctly on the first try? <sighs> There's so many. Great, um, great. Tomorrow. Mm. I have trouble with tomorrow. Uh, I have, you know what I really have trouble with? Psychic. I don't know why. Oh, impossible. It's because what are the letters? It's like you can't sound it out. You're is, just, is you it, just have to know. Is it P Y? C no, 
it's like, you're asking so the I, worst I person. I think it's P S Y P S P S. The S always fucks me up. I think, the S is I, what fucks me up. Yeah. I think it's P S Y C H I C. Psychic, psycho, psychotic. Don't DM me, people. I don't want to fucking know if I got it right or wrong. I'm never going to Google it. Just leave me alone. (laughs) Tomorrow, I'm always like, is it one M? Is it two M's? Is it two R's? Is it one R? I'm not a great speller, though. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a terrible speller, which is why I I started asking this question, because I have all these like really smart writery people on. And I was like, well, you're so fucking smart. You have a PhD. What word can't you spell? And then it really opened up. Yeah. my confidence <laughs> yeah I don't like um, it's, it's like I, I remember i wrote the greatest paper in the 12th grade ever star wars as a space western star <laughs> wars compared star wars to all the way since it was great i remember <laughs> doc walsh looking at me like yo why don't you just spell right just spell the word correctly. <laughs> this is like like man like you're a good writer you you just refuse to spell words correctly, and I got to fuck you up because of this. She's like, I can't let this ride. I wouldn't right. be doing my job. <laughs> Did you always want to write a book? I know you've talked about like always wanting to make a movie and win an Academy Award and those sorts of things, but was this like on your bucket list when you were younger, or is this a newer thing for you? Not about me. I didn't want to write a book. I wanted to write a book about like you know things that happen in fantastical lands. Oh, you, you want know, to try like a novel? Yeah, I want to write a novel. I still want to write a novel. You know? Oh my gosh, can't wait. You can get deep, deep into a novel. Like when I was a kid, I read uh, Swiftly Tilting Planet. You ever read that book? No. Madeline Lingle. She also wrote Wrinkle in Time. I read those Oh yeah, books I read were, that. And they were so like, the lore was like Lauren. It was <laughs> all the way up. Like the lore was so crazy. And then I read uh, another hidden gem. Not hidden gem. People have read it. A Confederacy of Dunces, you know? Of course, yeah. Um, I know that one. Read that, and then you know, I got into Baldwin and Morrison, and that was mind blown. Right. And I didn't know. Right. And I think reading Baldwin made me go, I don't really want to write about myself. I can't write about myself as well as this guy writes about himself. So, right, right, right. Or, or about things. So, but, um, but yeah, so I always wanted to, but it was something harder than I thought it was going to be. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I've heard I've heard it's hard. I've never written a book. I don't write. I'm not going to write a book. But I've heard it's very difficult to do. So props to you. Tough. For people who love your book, Fat, Crazy, and Tired, do you have any books that you would recommend that they read that are maybe in conversation with, with what you did or you think like pair nicely? Nope. No? This is the greatest book that's <laughs> ever been written. It is a singular experience. Okay. Of a man from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, trying to make sense of his world. You'll never get anything like it. The only other book I would say is great, and I would recommend it, is a book called Miss Me With That, <laughs> written by one Miss Rachel Lindsay. Rachel Lynn know. Lindsay, one of the greatest podcasters and television hosts ever to walk the face of the planet. I would suggest that you listen to her, that you listen to or read her book. Other than that, fuck everybody else's book. (laughs) Go get mine. (laughs) People know about Rachel. She was on the show when her book came out a few months ago. So people know big, big higher learning fan, big Rachel and Lindsay and Van Lathan Jr. fans. I do have a book recommendation for you, though. If you have not read Heavy by Kiese Lehman, you absolutely must, Van. You have to read it. I know right. you will love it. I know it will shake you to your core. It is 
he's he's from Mississippi. He's writing about being black, about being fat, about all this stuff. He's, our, I think, one of our greatest living writers. I, I just know. I know you'll love it. I know you I'll like Peniel Joseph. Oh, that's my it's, man. I know. I've read all of Peniel's stuff. Yeah, he's brilliant. I got, a, I got a whole. Have you had Peniel on here? I've never had him on. Oh my god! Uh, okay, I take back what I just said. You guys have to read everything Peniel Joseph ever wrote. wrote. Uh, it doesn't pair well with my book because he's way too brilliant <laughs> to pair well with anything I do. The Sword and the Shield by Peniel Joseph. I have it up here right now. I'm looking at Stokely. All of these books. Waiting for the Midnight Hour. All of these books. He is the world's foremost expert on the Black Power movement, the rise of civil rights in America. And his book, The Sword and the Shield, is about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. It will change the way you view each man's life. And that is almost fucking impossible to do, being that we've talked so much about these two guys. So Peniel Joseph is great. I'm glad you brought him up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I still have to read it. I can't, I can't vouch. But my husband has read and loved Sword and the Shield. Sword, sword, and mm-hmm. shield, and sword. sword and the shield. Um, sword and the shield. Okay, last one. If you could have sure. one person, dead or alive, read this book, who would you want it to be? My father. Okay. Everybody, the book, Fat, Crazy, and Tired, Tales from the Trenches of Transformation, a real fucking tongue twister for us podcast hosts who have to say the subtitle. That was rude. <laughs> I hold it against you. Uh, it's by Van Lathan. When you guys are listening right now, the book is out in the world. Go get your copy. Van, do you read the audiobook? I do read the audiobook. Okay, get the audio, get the physical, get both, get the ebook if you need a third version of it. Get Van's book, support Van, check out the podcast. Van, thank you so much for being here. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Van for being my guest. I'd also like to give a quick thank you to Kathy Gordon for making this episode possible. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for May is Shine Bright by Danielle Smith. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, May 25th with Novena Carmel. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. Please make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagiragis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Thank you.